Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, VMware announces an end to the free edition of the VMware vSphere hypervisor. NVIDIA passed Amazon in terms of market capitalization and a rundown of the Patch Tuesday news. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. And that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. VMware published an article declaring end of general availability for the free vSphere hypervisor ESXi version 7.x and 8.x. As a result, the VMware vSphere hypervisor is no longer available on VMware's website. Interestingly, in the article, they state that, quote, regrettably, there is currently no substitute product offered. For further details regarding the affected products and this change, we encourage you to review a blog post and they link to that blog post. And that blog post mentions basically simplification of the product stack and promotes some of their licensed products and talks about flexibility around licensing of products and their bring your own license model and all this kind of stuff to essentially maybe weaken the blow of this without doing so because clearly, you know, everyone on social media, at least talking about this, is viewing this in a negative light. I would think given the acquisition and the fact that VMware under Broadcom has talked about like playing to VMware strengths, which would be the infrastructure side, which would be their hypervisors. Well, this kind of makes sense for that direction that they're going in. They're going to try and milk the hypervisor market for all it's worth. Now I saw some on social media, some of the Microsoft MVPs talking about, you know, organizations will move to Hyper-V as an alternative because it's included in the price of the Windows operating system, which pretty much every large organization is using anyway, which the cynic in me says they probably assume that to be the case in the long term. But in the short term, a lot of organizations who are facing license renewal will not be in a position to just turn on a dime and quickly move over to an alternative hypervisor. And they also won't want to be out of support given the fact that critical infrastructure tends to be hosted on the hypervisor. So in the short term, this is probably going to be a financial boon for Broadcom and VMware. In the long term, it's probably going to force a lot of customers to uh, migrate to an alternative in the future. We're still relatively early into post-acquisition life for VMware. So there's going to be a whole lot more to talk about in the coming months, I'm sure. The February Patch Tuesday has come and gone with 73 flaws patched, including two actively exploited zero days in this month's Windows updates. This is a return to the norm for Windows updates 
after a few months of relatively few patches. The total rundown for the Windows updates for this month includes 16 elevation or privilege vulnerabilities patched, 3 security feature bypass vulnerabilities, 30 remote code execution vulnerabilities, 5 information disclosure vulnerabilities, 9 denial of service vulnerabilities, and 10 spoofing vulnerabilities. So even in that regard, just that rundown, you know, 30 remote code execution vulnerabilities and 16 elevation privilege vulnerabilities, that's back up to the usual high numbers you'd expect in a given month. But as always, I won't go into details on all of these vulnerabilities patched because simply wouldn't have the time, uh, but I would highlight the two zero-day vulnerabilities, starting with CVE-2024-21351, which is a Windows Smart Screen Security Feature Bypass vulnerability. And it's interesting because the Smart Screen feature has had numerous vulnerabilities over the last year or so. And this vulnerability, as the description suggests, allows attackers to bypass smart screen security checks. And they say that an authorized attacker must send the user a malicious file and convince the user to open it in order to exploit this vulnerability. But an attacker who successfully exploits this vulnerability could bypass the smart screen user experience. It's unknown how the vulnerability is being leveraged in attacks right now. The other zero-day vulnerability is CVE-2024-21412, and this is an internet shortcut files security feature bypass vulnerability. With this one, it's possible to bypass the mark of the web warnings within Windows. So an unauthenticated attacker could send a targeted user a specially crafted file that is designed to bypass displayed security checks. An attacker would have no way to force a user to view the attacker-controlled content, so they would need to convince a user to take action by clicking the file, which, to be honest with you, if I was to compare this with the Windows Smart Screen Security Feature Bypass vulnerability and the fact that it's an internet shortcut file, I would say this one would be easier to exploit because it would be a lot more straightforward uh, to get a user to just click on an internet shortcut, I feel. And this one has been exploited by an APT group called Dark Casino or Water Hydra in a campaign targeting financial traders. Microsoft reports that several researchers have discovered this flaw and reported it. And as is usually the case, other vendors have also released patches for their own sets of vulnerabilities in line with Patch Tuesday, including the likes of Apple, Adobe, and more. And you're probably tired of me saying this whenever there's a Patch Tuesday review, but typically as the patches are released, there's not a whole lot of news or information uh, to disclose on this. But over the next couple of weeks is when people will be deploying these patches to their pilot groups or their early adopters. So expect there to be some reports next week or the week after about fallout and issues caused by these updates. On last week's episode, I covered a story about a leak that shows a sudo feature coming to Windows that people reported appeared within the UI of a Windows preview version that had leaked, but did not appear to be functional at that time. So specifics on how it could work if it did eventually see the light of day was not clear. But it appears Microsoft has reacted to this leak by sharing more information via their dev blog. As speculated by me on last week's episode, it appears the sudo command will be a Windows equivalent sudo command 
that can be used to run commands with elevator permissions, similar to running with the Run As feature that's already in Windows. The blog post shares that UAC will continue to be in play, so you can run sudo, but when UAC is enabled, as it should be, it will prompt for the elevation. So this is not likely, or hopefully unlikely, uh, to be used by cyber gangs to run things elevated unbeknownst to users and unbeknownst to enterprises. So if you happen to work in an enterprise where UAC is disabled, enable it. <laughs> Why did you ever do that? Microsoft has followed up its recent announcement that Azure Virtual Desktop or Azure Stack HCI is now generally available with a video overview of the new Azure Virtual Desktop for Azure Stack HCI and its integration with Azure Arc, enabling you to run your virtual desktops precisely where you need them, all managed from Azure. They have also provided other resources that could be useful to those trying it out. I know there was a lot of interest in this when it was just a theory that you know there was Azure Stack HCI, so perhaps you could run Azure Virtual Desktop on-premises. Well, if that did pique your interest at the time when it was just something that could potentially happen, well, now you're able to. So if you want to try it out, Microsoft has provided this video overview as well as some other resources to help you get started. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 321. And you can find that over at fivebytespodcast.com with this episode. Citrix announced early access of Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops version 2402 and in doing so, have confirmed that this is now the anointed successor for the long-term service release version. So this is early access. I'll cover the features and more information about it once it becomes generally available. But just know if you are on the LTSR versions of Citrix that there's going to be a new LTSR and that's gonna be version 2402. In a follow-up to a previously reported story about Microsoft blocking upgrades to Windows 11 23H2 for some users due to an issue that saw desktop icons move erratically when using Windows Copilot on a multi-monitor computer or system, well, that block has now been removed. This should not have impacted enterprise customers since it was only in a preview version, but going forward, it should not be an issue at all. I also saw some early chatter on the Google patch mail group that I'm a member of that suggests that currently there is no way to disable these changes to Windows 11 in 23H2 that have been made to accommodate Copilot. So there's no group policy to hide or remove options and menus yet by the looks of things. So hopefully that comes online soon. Otherwise I could see enterprises who are reluctant to move to this version. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. There have been a lot of follow-up stories this week, uh, but another one. The recent Avanti authentication bypass vulnerabilities that prompted the US ESA to suggest shutting down the product entirely to its agents has been given more information and an advisory by Avanti. Security patches for product versions affected by the three flaws were released on January 31st, and I believe the US made its statement on February 1st. 
Devanti provided mitigation instructions for devices that could be secured immediately against ongoing attacks or running software versions, still waiting for a patch. And Avanti has come out and urged customers to factory reset all vulnerable appliances before patching to block attackers' attempts to gain persistence between software upgrades. Hopefully it's a relatively quiet few months ahead for Avanti because it's been a rough few months between late 2023 and early 2024 for them. NVIDIA is on the verge of overtaking Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, as Wall Street's third most valuable company. And on Tuesday, they ended the day with a market capitalization above Amazon. Honestly, this is remarkable, but not that surprising. I think I may have even talked about NVIDIA on the podcast a few years ago, suggesting that they could be a smart stock buy because it just seemed like the future was going to be bright, not just because GPUs would be becoming more popular in adoption within the enterprise. There was that wave of cryptocurrency mining, which, you know, that was kind of a fool's gold. And if anything, made the stock more volatile. But they were of critical importance within the automotive industry and are now getting a seat at the head of the table in terms of the AI compute requirements and revolution. So NVIDIA have certainly seized their opportunities well, and it is resulting in stellar performance for their stock. The European Commission have wrapped up an investigation into Apple's iMessage. They were reportedly investigating whether or not to require Apple to provide interoperability between their service and other services such as WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, and more. Cultofmac.com speculates the reason they did not proceed with the investigation further or taking action is possibly due to the rich communication services integration into iMessage, which would reportedly bring greater parity between iMessage and Android messages, so there will be uniformity for things like emojis, read receipts, and other advanced functionality. So this is one instance where perhaps Apple saved themselves hardship by being proactive and addressing some of the concerns without getting into a pissing match. Maybe a sign of maturity, but probably not. NerdioCon was held this week in the Dominican Republic, and during the event, Nerdio announced some generative AI features. They intend to introduce generative AI assistance for scripted action generation, report creation, data analysis, and other tasks to its existing products. I was not at the event, so I don't know the specifics. It kind of sounds like they're just maybe integrating in uh, chat or OpenAI's public API and allowing customers to run an action to essentially pass queries to the API, which I think is what a lot of other vendors are doing as well. And it's a smart play because this way you could say you offer AI features, which at the moment is quite a buzz. So I'd say a lot of vendors are going to do this and other vendors have already done this actually in the last year or so expect more of this in the future also worth noting during NerdioCon, nerdio stated that they have doubled their annual recurring revenue through partner expansion and customer growth which is very impressive so congratulations to nerdio on that and to end this week's news with something a little bit ridiculous mark zuckerberg put out a video that's essentially throwing cold water on Apple's recently released Apple Vision Pro. So I don't believe I covered Apple Vision Pro and its release too much on the podcast because at least at the moment, it seems to be more of a consumer product than uh, one that has enterprise applications. 
But in the video, Zuckerberg compared the MetaQuest 3 by Meta uh, with the Apple Vision Pro, suggesting that the MetaQuest 3 has a wider field of view. He said that the MetaQuest 3 is 120 grams lighter than the Vision Pro, and he feels that Quest 3 is more comfortable to place on the head compared to Apple's product. He just claims that it's a better product overall. And at the price point, MetaQuest 3 is a manageable 500 euros compared to Apple's 3,500 device. Like I said, I'm not too sure of the enterprise applications. We did see in the past uh, the augmented reality from Magic Leap did have some enterprise applications like I covered on the podcast before that they demoed a augmented reality training for surgeons using the Magic Leap at a HIMSS conference in the past. So there are definitely these use cases. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Meta and Apple start to pitch these more towards enterprises and having actual functional applications for enterprises. And I did see something that interested me or caught my eye on a show called Off the Ball in Ireland, uh, where they were talking about one of our national stadiums that's used for rugby and soccer having network connectivity, which it has had for many years. Um, but an attempt by organizers to possibly provide a more interactive experience for those attending games there. They may possibly use the network connectivity to allow spectators to use their devices and just like point towards a certain part of the stadium or even just to get a live feed of information and stats from the matches as they're happening. So you could possibly put a device towards a part of the stadium and read some historical fact or something like that or look at the device while the game is going on and see you know what team has had the most number of corners or something like that. So I thought it was something that was pretty interesting. And again, that's not really an enterprise use case, but something like that could make a VR or AR headset pretty interesting to use. I know they tried something similar with the NBA. So hopefully we're not just on the cusp of a technological revolution in terms of AI, but it might be kind of cool if we have one with VR and AR, but they need to break through into enterprise applications, I feel. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. A tip from a lesson learned over the weekend, do not type out or write down Wi-Fi passwords and stick them up on a wall or somewhere visible to others. And certainly never do it in a place that will be broadcast on global television, which is exactly what happened during the Super Bowl on Sunday, when a shot of the Super Bowl security command center was televised showing their Wi-Fi SID as Marco, and password as welcome here, which is in like mixed case, which is also in a very predictable pattern. So yeah, if you work somewhere, like I've seen in a hospital setting, people, employees write down passwords and then put them on post-it notes on a monitor that is just in the hallway. Don't do that and certainly don't do it in a place where it's gonna be broadcast all over the world. Finally this week, the EUC Forum have published the date for their next meetup, which is going to be held in London on the 26th of March. At the moment, it looks like there's no agenda or speakers lined up, so I'm sure that information will be provided a bit closer to the event. But if you'd like to sign up and you want to plan to go to it, some information like the address and the date is now available. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.